Good morning, Storyline. It is so good to be together. Congratulations to our graduates. And oh my, just once, I would like to end a talk like that. <laughs> right? So cool. It's just never going to happen. Never going to happen. It struck me this week with all the graduation festivities that most of this year's seniors were born in the year 2005. Now, that to me is just crazy because am I the only one that thinks of 2005 as this distant, far-off future time, right? <laughs> 2005. I, I, I could be wrong, but I believe that Storyline's first public gathering, I, I'm so old I can't quite remember this, I, I believe it happened in early 2005. So while graduation marks a celebration of everything our grads have learned in their years of school, I thought it might be a good time for us to reflect on what we've been trying to teach them for their entire lives. The last few weeks, we've been talking about the, actually the power of story. And I've had a number of people um, just get in touch with me and say that that's really kind of struck them as very powerful. And so um, we're gonna continue on with that. Two weeks ago, uh, we considered God's story. And then last week, our personal story. And so this morning, we're gonna try to wrap all this up by looking at Storylines story. And we don't do this very often, but every once in a while I think it's helpful to be reminded, and if you're newer, to maybe find out for the first time a little bit about who we are and why we are. And so when Storyline began, there were a lot of questions asked of us, and frankly, that we were asking ourselves, beginning with why. Like, why are you doing this? Why does this area need another church? Uh, on the drive-in this morning, from my house in Stevensville. Uh, I drove past six churches, six. So to my knowledge, none of them are full or even close to it. So Storyline didn't begin because like people are lining up to get into churches like a Taylor Swift concert and they just cannot get a ticket, okay? That is not what's happening and we all know that. So very early on, we were clear Storyline needed to be different enough to make a difference. And so I, I do wanna be really clear about this. We never set out to be like the way to do church or to do church better. That was never the intention, that was never, um, we didn't mean to imply that in any way um, because we don't think there's anything wrong with other churches in our area. In fact, just the opposite. One of the things that we did at the very beginning is we looked around and we said, we are blessed with so many amazing churches in this area. A former Young Life kid of mine and a former student of mine is now the lead pastor at the chapel. Some of my best friends are at First Church. I mean, it's, we have wonderful, amazing churches in our area. And so our, our community is blessed with that. And one of the ways that we looked at it is that because we have so many great churches in our area, it kind of gives us permission to try something else. Because, uh, and in fact, over the years, it's been a pleasure for us to point other people. When people come to visit Storyline and we're not their cup of tea, it's been, I, I, I enjoy this so much, sitting down with people, finding out what they're looking for, steering them towards a church that will work for them. And some of you, I've actually done that with some of you and you have yet to take the hint, you're still here. So <laughs> anyway, I'm still working on some of you. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. So. Um, we do, however, believe that there has been something missing. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Maybe there's something missing in, in, in the way that church is done. 
traditionally, predominantly, generally, and, and that really maybe no one in this area is attempting to do. So our story begins like this. This is not a way or our way to do church better, just different. Very simply, just different. And hopefully different enough to make a difference. We are simply trying to create another possible expression of what church, a community dedicated to living in and living out the grace of God might look like. And so far, this is where God has brought us. We talk about being, we are in discovery mode. We don't have some plan that we're building toward. Every time someone new walks through the door, we assume they have something to show us and teach us about God and about who we are and who we could be. And so we're in constantly in discovery mode and storyline is, it's one step at a time. So the question remains, however, even with all of that, why? Why do we believe God has brought us here and how has he done that? Because we do have some core convictions that emanate from the life and the ministry of Jesus and his first followers that have informed and inspired us along the way. And I'd like to explore these convictions or maybe approaches, if you will, to the life of faith that provide the foundation or the pillars of Storyline's story. And we have tried to offer these to our graduates for now their whole life. There are many passages in the Bible where these principles are lived out. I could have picked any one of several dozen passages, but we're gonna look at one specifically written by a man named Paul. Paul was one of the first followers of Jesus and uh, Paul actually wrote um, most of the New Testament of the Bible. And in this particular letter that we're gonna look at this morning, he was writing to a new community of followers of Jesus and who were attempting the best they could to make the way of Jesus their way of life. So this is Paul recounting to them, don't forget, this is how I introduced Jesus' gospel of grace to you and how he helped them to find, form, and fortify their faith in the grace of God. It's absolutely one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is what Paul wrote to them. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. When we when the message uh, we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and you determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated Jesus. The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You are the message. People come up and tell us how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. Now there is a lot in there, right? We could look at that all summer long. Uh, 
but I want to pick out a couple principles again that have informed and inspired storyline along the way, and I hope our graduates would say that they've experienced in their time in our community. And the first is this idea of being image-bearing. He said, it is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but has put his hand on you for something special. We begin with the basic, this basic assumption about all people, every human being, that everyone is made in the image of God. Not just the pretty, not just the perfect or the pure people, not just the religious people, not just people who believe the right way, everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time, always bear the image of God. That means that everywhere, every day, all the time, everyone is loved by God. And endowed by God with a never seen before, never to be seen again perspective on God and life and the world we live in. And that means that each and every one of us is made by God on purpose for a purpose. Now this not only gives our life meaning, it gives each of us our own unique and essential role to play in God's mission, in his story, to love the world right again. Maybe it's helpful to think about it in terms of light. To, to be an image bearer is, is something like um, being a mirror. So all of us are, in that sense, a reflection of God. Every man, woman, and child has the ability to turn toward God and in doing so, become this one-of-a-kind mirror, reflecting his light into the world. And when we do that, when we live that way, when we reflect God's light out into the world, things change, but most importantly, people flourish. This is my friend, Jacob Marone. He is graduating this year. I've known his parents for a very long time, and Jacob, I've really known since he was born. Uh, he's a hard worker, he's very respectful, super helpful, and so kind. He's just a great kid. Jacob's very good at a lot of things, but in particular, he is a fantastic golfer. Like, amazing. Next year, he's actually going to be playing college golf at the University of Findlay in Ohio. Now, yeah, I know, it's pretty cool, right? So a lot of young men, a lot of young men with this kind of talent and not, not just a little charm, if you know him, okay, they could choose to spend their time a lot of different ways. But Jacob chose to work hard at golf. Like he really committed and has achieved great things. But the best thing about Jacob is how he shows up every day in his life ready to reflect God's light, the image of God into the world. This is Jacob playing golf with his friend Knox. Knox is in seventh grade and an aspiring young golfer who really looks up to Jacob. It would be all too easy for Jacob to bask in the praise of this young man and move on. But Jacob has chosen to work with Knox on his golf game. Knox's father said it's not uncommon to find these two putting together on the, on the putting green or, or making up some game around the chipping green together. 
And he said, Jacob has been a great role model for Knox. You know, some researchers describe this generation of young people as the browsers. Like, think of like the Netflix homepage, right? Like, they have so many choices before them, they end up spending all their time browsing and never really committing. Well, Jacob's a great example of a young person who's not afraid to commit. And it shows in the excellence that he's achieved on the course and the light that he is reflecting off of it. Mark Twain said that you have the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. It is in making and keeping commitments, not browsing, in choosing to bring our story and God's story together that we begin to discover why we were born. That's something special that Paul talked about in the passage. We begin to discover our purpose as unique image bearers of God. So our story and storyline begins with this understanding that people seeing and savoring the grace of God has massive implications for the world. God's grace can be seen in every human being, regardless of who they are, where they are, or what they believe. And that's one of our foundational pillars. And when we take the time, when we make the effort to really, truly see people, it brings out, it reminds them of, it activates something in them where they know they too are made in the image of God.
Good job, Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn's first time singing with us, class of 2028. <laughs> what the is happening? Oh my gosh, she's in seventh grade. Wow, unbelievable. So good. So the second principle that we see in Paul writing to us here that we've taken to inspire and guide us here at Storyline, it's part of the church's story, wider church's story, I believe, is about being incarnational. Look what he says here. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. This is a huge part of the dream that God has given us. In cultural contexts, you could argue, in cultural contexts where the Christian faith is assumed and largely the accepted norm, you could say that maybe the role of the church, and maybe one of the most important things that the church can do, is to establish like detailed theological accuracy. So, for example, in that world, it might make sense to have like these long, rigorous debates over the minutia of theology that separates Episcopalians from Catholics or Baptists from Methodists or even Wisconsin Synod Lutherans from the dreaded Missouri Synod Lutherans, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm kidding. But in the, and in the West, actually in, in, in Western Europe and in the United States, that was the world that we lived in for roughly 500 years. From about the time of the Reformation to just roughly around the year 2000, you can say that Christianity dominated the West, and so did these debates about the details. But that is not the world that Paul was writing in and the people that Paul was writing to in, in the letter that we looked at. And I would argue that it certainly is not ours either. We now live in a cultural context where the Christian faith is in steep and an accelerating decline. Storyline has been talking about this for almost 20 years, and at the beginning, it didn't really resonate. A lot of people didn't hear that. And lately, I think people have started to go, yeah, it is a new world. We, we live in a culture where our culture-creating institutions are not friendly. They don't assume the Christian faith. And there's no reason to believe our society's view of the life of faith will be any friendlier anytime soon. Now, we can whine about that, and we can pitch a fit about that, or we can do what Jesus and Paul and the early church did and ask, where is the opportunity to love people in that? Because there is. See, faced with f similar friction and pushback, the Apostle Paul and the early followers of Jesus, they kept it simple. They kept it basic. Their message was not primarily delivered in words. It was incarnational, which means they attempted to embody their message as, they, as much as they did to explain it. The early Christians who were persecuted so much by ancient Rome, they did not throw fits about being treated unfairly. They served the poor. They took care of the sick. And the faith exploded. The same thing happened in the underground church in China. And there's just an amazing opportunity if we will be incarnational. 
In doing so, they were, Im- they were imitating what Jesus did. The Bible says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is Lena Haynes. She and her family have been a part of Storyline for a very long time. She graduated from Lakeshore on Friday, and among other things, she was a member of the tennis team, but her favorite thing was the band, specifically the color guard. Now, like Jacob, that could have been the end of her story, like, hey, this is what I like, this is what I'm good at, but not for Lena. That wasn't the end of her story. Right from the beginning, her passion for color guard has been tied to sharing it with others, helping the younger members develop their skill and come together as a team. I spoke with Mr. Pagel, the band director, and he told me that Lena demonstrated consistent maturity, responsibility, a strong work ethic, and most importantly, kindness. The people on her team loved her because she loved them first. This is what it means to be incarnational. Lena didn't have to say or explain much. She lived out her mission, her story with and for others. This is the key. She brought her love and kindness and skill to them, to where they were in something that they were already interested in, and she inserted herself into that setting, into this color guard. That is what it means to be incarnational. It's so cool. The storyline tries to be incarnational. We purposely, we purposely meet in a public building on purpose because everyone's comfortable with walking into a school, although I guess some of us have bad memories of that too, right? <laughs> but this is a public building. It's a public space. We, meet, we, meet, we met at the park a few years ago. We met at the solarium in Stevensville a, a couple years ago. We try to keep it public so that this is where people are. You go to where the people are. That is what the church, that's how it started out. We use art, we use music that's familiar to everyone. We use movie clips that people have seen and already love. Attempting, like Lena, to move into the neighborhood. To bring the message of God's grace to where people are as they are. And and what we're hoping for is to shift in the minds of everyone what it can look like and what it can feel like to live in and to live out the grace of God. You see, the life of faith can feel really foreign to many of us. And as time moves forward, all indications are that group of folks for whom the life of faith feels foreign is growing, and it's growing fast. But the story of Jesus and his first followers is all about bringing God's grace to people, to people, where they are, as they are. That is incarnational, and it's super powerful. Another principle here in Paul's passage that is reflecting God's image incarnationally is inherently relational. It's relational, like, here's what he said. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You are the message. 
I love that so much. One of my favorite social scientists is uh, Canadian uh, Marshall McLuhan. He's passed away um, not too long ago, but he used to do some just really innovative, very creative studies about modern life and the modern world and how people interact with it. And he came up with something, he talked about something called the sensorium. And the sensorium is the sum of an organism's perception. So as human beings, we make sense out of the world using our five senses, but also through the way we interpret the information coming into us through our five senses. Taken all together, our senses, our culture, our community, all of our contexts and our minds, how we interpret all of that, this is our sensorium, okay? Well, McLuhan did these groundbreaking studies of work in this area, specifically with something he called the medium, okay? Now, medium not as in small, medium, large, but medium as in the material used or the way in which information is transmitted. Okay, so for example, music is one type of medium. Television is another type of medium. The written word is another type of medium. Facial expressions, emojis, smoke signals, they're all mediums used to transmit information. So he studied this and he, came, he found something absolutely fascinating. McLuhan discovered that if you asked, for example, a painter and a television producer and a musician to communicate this message, like here it is, here's the message I want you to communicate using their different mediums, okay? Human beings on the other end of that, receiving that information, actually perceived different messages. Different messages, depending on the medium. Was it TV, was it radio, was it written? Was it a song, was it a poem? So it came down to this, same information with different mediums equals different messages. Now, his, the, these findings were so startling about the human sensorium and how we make sense out of the world that he coined a, a phrase, we talk about it quite a bit here at Storyline, that the medium is the message. The medium is the message. In other words, the way information is transmitted basically becomes the heart of the message itself. So when Lisa says to me, Mike, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. She's right, apparently, again, okay? But there are huge implications, there are huge implications to this reality. If the basic message that God wants to convey to us is his gospel of grace, and the way that we put that often here is, there's nothing you can do to get God on your side, because God is already on your side. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that, and that's what we spend a lot of time doing, but that's the basic bottom line of the gospel of grace. In, in other words, God wants a loving relationship with us. That's the heart of the gospel. He'll stop at nothing and has stopped at nothing to offer a loving relationship with us. If that is the message, now think about this, he could communicate that so many, through paintings. He could write a poem, he could do sky writing, he could drop pamphlets from the sky. He could write a song, he could write a book, he could have his own television show. 
But if the medium is the message, the best way to communicate, hey, I want a loving relationship with you, would be through a loving relationship. Stay with me for a second, okay? Because this is the absolutely, this is the beauty and the genius of Jesus. This means if the medium is the message, then the message is the messenger, which is why Jesus came to earth. He is the message. And now, so are we. We are the message. And the way we communicate that message through loving relationships is the message itself. It's just genius. So as we strive to be different enough to make a difference, we must be a community that sees God's image, sees God's image in everyone, and brings that reflection to people incarnationally, where they are. But that only makes a difference if we're doing that through the medium of loving relationships. So incredibly powerful. This is Emily Peters. She just graduated this weekend and, and like our other grads, is like crazy talented in so many ways. She's actually going to play college soccer next year at Belmont University in Nashville. Now, unfortunately, Emily injured her knee this year before her senior soccer season started, which was like so heartbreaking for her because this was actually gonna be the first year that she got to play with the school team and her very best friends. So it was just crushing for her to not get to do that. Now, I have been a coach. I talk about this a lot. I've been a coach for probably too long. I've been a coach, and I've seen this happen before. It's just devastating. These high school careers, they go by really fast, and it's not unusual, unfortunately, for a kid to miss one or two seasons, okay? And I can tell you that most of the time, that's the end of the story. They get hurt, that's it. The injured player can't play, so they're off the team and they just watch in the stands, maybe, go come to a game or two, but not Emily. She was a huge part of the team this year. She went to every meeting, every practice, every game. She showed up and helped out in any way, in every way she could, because as much as she loves soccer, what this was really about for her is her teammates, the relationships with her teammates. In fact, one of her teammates said, Emily gave us the greatest motivational speeches before games, which is great to know Emily, by the way, because we're looking for someone next Sunday and I will be looking for you. So I'll be in touch. Finally, Paul is telling us here, he's guiding us and inspiring us. One of the four pillars of storyline, it comes together. It all comes together. These things come together through sacrificial service. He said, you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourself. And in imitating us, you imitated Jesus. So sticking with this theme of school this morning, one of my former teachers and coaches, now a storyliner, shared this video with me about a teacher. 
At St. Francis High School in La Cañada, California, there's something to be said about yeah, math teacher Jim O'Connor. Substitute back for Y. The question is, what is that something? Or round it. When you think of him, does the word love come to mind? Obviously not. He's very, uh... For whatever reason, none of these kids would tell me what they really think of him. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, none of the boys have come in here and said, oh, God, we have hated him, you know, at times. Nobody said that. I wonder why. He's going to be seeing this, right? Oh, yeah, oh, that's why. <laughs> Truth is, Mr. O'Connor can be a bit of a drudge. You don't know what you're doing. But the 70-year-old Vietnam vet says he's not here to entertain his students. It drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. E to the KT times E to the C. And for years. Okay. The kids thought that's all there was to him. Until last November, when senior Pat McGoldrick learned they didn't know the half of him. Pat was in charge of a student blood drive and had just come here to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for a meeting. He says it was weird. Whenever he told someone he went to St. Francis High School, they all said, oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful? What? Like, and then it is disbelief, really. It's almost like kind of finding this alter ego that he has. Inside the blood donor center, Pat found a plaque listing all the top blood donors at the hospital, including the record holder, Jim O'Connor. Then he learned something even more unbelievable, that whenever Mr. O'Connor isn't torturing kids with calculus, he's on a whole nother tangent, cuddling sick babies. Come on, you can talk to me. Three days a week for the past 20 years, Jim has volunteered here, what? stepping in when parents can't to hold, feed, and comfort their children. So low. Nurse Erin Schmidt says he's invaluable. They tend to calm for him. They tend to relax with him. They fall asleep with him. I just like them and relate to them somehow. Is that a smile? That Jim's a smile? never been married. He has no kids of his own. Yeah but he has fallen hard for these babies. I don't want to see him alone. You can't do that. You're not a tough guy at all. I know, but don't, don't tell my students. <laughs> if you do the calculation... Sometimes you think you know someone, but you don't have the slightest. Sometimes you think you're learning calculus, but the real lesson is life. I've always, like, respected him. Um, but now it's an even a, a different degree, really, is to the point where I, where I try to emulate him. He's the epitome of a man of service. What you doing? Steve Hartman, on the road in Los Angeles. So there are many ways to reflect the love of God incarnationally and relationally. And that's been one of the things that have really guided us from the very beginning. There are storyliners, people absolutely totally committed to this community and our mission who aren't here this morning who are rarely here on Sundays because they're coaching football or hockey or taking friends fishing and that is what we are about serving others doesn't have to be up front it doesn't have to be flashy it doesn't have to be in the church it doesn't have to attract a crowd often the most powerful and transformational acts of service are done quietly, they're done behind the scenes, very few people will ever notice. Jesus said this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve. This is the fourth pillar of storyline, story, encouraging and equipping one another, inspiring each other to find a way to give away the time, talent, and treasure that God has entrusted to us. Before we close, I wanna say one last thing about all of this. Um, because actually, as I was thinking about our graduates this week and looking at their lives, investigating a few of them and their lives, um, it became so clear to me as I looked at them. This is not an easy story. It's the best story, but it's not easy. To live as if everyone is made in the image of God. To live incarnationally, meeting people where they are, as they are. To love relationally, remembering that we are the message. And to do all of that with sacrificial service, it isn't easy. Easy would have been Jacob walking past Knox on the golf course. Easy would have been Lena making the color guard and then moving on to me time. Easy would have been Emily suffering an injury and focusing solely on herself and her future. But as much as I'd like to think about everything that our graduates have learned in the last 12 years from us, it's really important for us to see all that they have taught us, actually. Living in and living out the grace of God is not easy, but it's so good. It's worth it, but it's hard. And that really is the plot of the story of our lives. It's all about that tension. Like, the best way to live is not the easy way to live. The life of faith is difficult and hard because God's grace is free, but it will cost us to accept it, to live it out to live in it and then to live it out. Because of this, the grace of God has a gravity to it. And if you've been around for a while, if you've been around Storyline for a while, if, if you are considering faith in God, if, that, if you're like in that holding pattern, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is this push and this pull. There is this attraction and, you know, re, we're repulsed at the same time by the grace of God. And we can't talk about this honestly without acknowledging all this. So we can have and we will have an ongoing struggle to give away what God has entrusted us with. That is absolutely normal. That is natural. That is what the life of faith feels like. We see that even in the life of Jesus himself. So we're gonna close this morning with a song that I just love because it's, I think it's just so honest. I think it captures the plot of this story, of our story, of God's story, of, of Storyline's story. This feeling, this push and this pull, the gravity of God's grace and the wrestling match that it is for us to accept it, to live in it, and to live it out. I resonate with this so deeply and I hope you will too.
so much. Sinai, class of 2026. Something always brings me back to you. I love it that that song that goes all over the place and is back and forth and up and down begins and ends with that. Something always brings me back to you. That's the gravity of grace, the gravity of the love of God. He continues to draw us back. He does that incarnationally by coming to us as us. He does that relationally by loving us where we are, as we are, and he does that as a servant because we are his. We're made in his image. That grace is the very source of our life, and as I think our graduates have taught us so well, It is also the goal of our lives. It's the best way to live, no matter how hard it can be. And my prayer for us this morning is that we may all hear God's voice and accept his invitation into that same story. Amen. Now, before we close, I have one very special announcement to make. And I promised that I would not make a big deal about this. And so I'm going to keep this simple and classy, okay? I'm overwhelmed with joy to announce the arrival of our newest storyliner. Friends, brothers and sisters, please meet Quinn Lucille Kate 
now. Yes. Here she is with her very happy big brother, Bo, and her entire family, Father Paul and Mother Allie. By the way, Quinn Knapp will be a member of the class of, wait for it, 2041. <laughs> Just imagine how much God is going to teach us through her. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time in this place and this opportunity to be together. In our passage this morning, your word says something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Remind us that our story and your story becomes the story we're telling together only through you and your grace. We can't make it happen. We can only let it happen. Let your grace take root in us, take the shape of us, and take hold through us as we allow your gravity to pull us home. We thank you for our graduates and the way they have taught us, shown all of us this and so much more. We ask for your hand upon them as they move forward into the world, and we thank you for the Knapp family and baby Quinn. What a gift to a family who's been waiting for her to arrive for four years. As we leave this morning, I pray that you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Congratulations, class of 2023.